Katie Books Productions presents Lenny Gray, an audio drama written, produced, and narrated by Earl Sewell. Previously on Lenny Gray. Well, it ain't 1839 no more, and we need to let these coons know that we ain't for no Joe Lewis winning no fight, and he ain't no symbol of goddamn America, grunted Roy. Curly, stay in the house tonight. If Max Melling wins, there won't be no trouble. I can't say the same if Joe Lewis wins. You and your family don't want to be caught outside if he does. You understand me, boy? Yes, sir, Curly answered. Good. Lenny, y'all have a nice evening, and be ready to go out in the field in the morning. Mr. Betta spit on the ground before he got back in his car along with the other men and drove away. Lenny Gray felt as shrunken as Curly as she obediently went back inside. Why do white peoples hate Joe Lewis so much? Minnie asked Lenny Gray. They just do, honey. I hate that dirty motherfucker! Curly remarked as he knuckled up his hand into fist. I hope Joe Lewis knocks the fuck out of Max Smellin. So do I, Daddy, Willie chimed in. Me too! Bud followed with his stammer. Since when did you start caring about what's going on in the outside world? Lenny Gray asked Curly. I don't know. All of a sudden, I just do. We've been on this bare plantation for 20 years, Lenny, and we ain't doing no better than when we got here. I'm getting old, Lenny. And I'm getting tired of losing. For once in my life, I would like to hear about somebody that looked like me win at something in life. Why, Curly, in all my born days, I never thought I would ever hear you say that you wanted more than this out of life. This is all I want. I just want it without being messed with. The cotton fields were empty, and Mr. Bettis paid the field workers what he felt he owed them. For most of the workers, the amount they were paid was far less than what they had calculated. Only a few broke even against what they had borrowed, but most of them, according to Mr. Bettis, were in the hole and still indebted to him. Those who had young children that had learned how to read, write, and count from their extended stays in northern cities found courage and challenged Mr. Bettis's bookkeeping. You questioning what I've written down in my book? Mr. Bettis would say to any of the workers who questioned his integrity. Upon hearing the threatening tone of Mr. Bettis's voice, parents, that fear had been instilled in, immediately corrected their children who had taken it upon themselves to point out a discrepancy. With shame and pain, they apologized to Mr. Bettis and agreed with what he had written down in his book. In doing this, children were reconditioned to never question Mr. Bettis or anyone who was white. 
Many of the young adults were confused by this custom and questioned their parents as to why they were sent to school to learn if they couldn't use their knowledge. Young people who couldn't suppress their outrage and stood up for their family were the ones Mr. Bettis viewed as uppity and troublemakers. He'd warned their parents of the consequences if their children didn't learn their place in society. It was then, with eyes glistening with tears, that many of the plantation workers were forced to send their young men and women away to live with other relatives so they wouldn't be found swinging from a tree or floating in the river. Such occurrences were commonplace on the Bettis plantation, and all the sharecroppers knew that if Mr. Bettis made a direct threat, you didn't have long to live. Curly and Lenny Gray didn't have such troubles with Mr. Bettis because they accepted their place and taught their children not to concern themselves with fair treatment. No matter how hungry, cold, or partly clothed they were. Lenny Gray had recently given birth to a set of triplets, Leyuna, Christine, and Martha, who Curly and Lenny Gray could barely clothe. The half-naked babies rested on a pallet that was in their shanty. Lenny Gray, worn out and scarcely clothed herself, received clothes and sewing material from church members, Ida, and her oldest daughter, Mary. The money that Curly and the boys earned toiling in the fields amounted to enough to buy food, but only for a very short amount of time. Now, they had to go through the winter months hunting for whatever food they could find, as if they were a frontier family. The farm animals they had all got sick and died. The garden Lenny Gray had was now bare, and the food from it was long gone. This pushed Curly to the point of desperation. He and his boys had gone out hunting with a frontiersman mentality, with the intent of catching anything that crawled or swam. They didn't care if it was a possum, raccoon, squirrel, hawk, or some fish in the river. Uh, Lenny Gray! Curly shouted out her name as he approached their shanty. Lenny, who was battling with hunger pains along with her children, walked out onto the porch. Lenny Gray saw Curly, Willie, and Bud heading towards her carrying their meal. She forced a smile on her face and swallowed down her anxiety. Her eyes glistened with tears because she was happy to see that they had returned safely and with something to eat. Curly had his feet swatted with rags and was using them for shoes. Willie had outgrown his shoes and cut the tops of them off so that he wouldn't have to walk around barefoot. Bud had no shoes at all, and as a result, his feet were calloused and smelly. Willie was now 15 and Bud was a year younger. Lenny Gray worried about their safety and prayed to God to make sure that they stayed out of trouble's way. I got us some food, Curly said, holding up the catch by its hind legs. That ain't enough to feed us, Curly. Lenny Gray didn't intend to sound ungrateful, but Curly received her words as such. What more can I do, Lenny? His heart overwhelmed and flooded with disgrace. I ain't got no more money, and I ain't got no way to get none. I know, Curly. I'm just afraid we're all going to die of hunger. I can't breastfeed the triplets if I can't feed myself. Uh, here, boys, y'all go and skin what we didn't caught. Curly sent Bud and Willie 
on their way. Curly looked down at the ground and tried to think of something, but his mind was barren and lacked a solution. I'm going to go help the boys, Lenny Gray said, turning to walk back inside. At that moment, Curly came up with a solution. I- I'm, I'm going to go big, Lenny. Lenny Gray turned back around and held his gaze. She felt as if she were being choked by the humiliated look on his face. Despair had entrenched deep lines around his gaunt and deeply recessed eyes. What? I'm going to go beg Mr. Bettis for some food to see us through. He said he'd like me like a pet. So, maybe he'll throw me a bone, Curly said ashamedly. Curly, don't do that to yourself. I'll make what you done caught enough. Mr. Bettis got a cold and evil heart. That man ain't going to do nothing for us. You're going to have me worried about what he might say or do to you. In her soul, Lenny Gray knew that her request would not change his mind. She only wanted to soften the blow of humiliation. Maybe we can ask neighbors for a little help. We won't ask for much, just a little bit, Lenny Gray suggested. But Lenny Gray already had done this before suggesting it to Curly. Ida and Tom were pretty bad off and received a lot of help from her daughter, Mary. Lenny wanted to go to Mary, but knew that wasn't possible especially since Elmo started beating her for sending food out of his house to help her grandparents. We didn't already got all the help we gonna get. Black folks around here barely making it. We should move north, Curly, Lenny Gray whispered, wondering where that ancient thought had surfaced from. Lenny, I done told you time and time again that it ain't no better up north than it is right here. Quit trying to make me feel like I ain't nothing. Curly projected his anger and frustration at Lenny Gray. We ain't got no money to go nowhere with. And how we supposed to get there? Walk? I ain't got no damn shoes. Bud ain't got no goddamn shoes. You ain't got no damn shoes. Baby ain't got no clothes. And the mule and wagon is only good for plowing the field and not no great big old trip north. Curly knew that he was not taking care of his family in the way he envisioned. But he was blaming his shortcomings on life itself and this allowed him to stay in the safety zone called poverty and failure, which were breeding grounds for psychological problems that continually gave birth to maladaptive behaviors. Lenny Gray watched as Curly walked back up the road towards Mr. Bettis' place. When he had disappeared, she walked back inside and did the only thing she knew how to. She prayed to God to protect Curly and to show her a sign of what she should do. Bud and Willie sat on the floor with their backs against the wall of the shanty. They had left the skinned and gutted animals on the table for Lenny Gray to prepare. Lenny Gray looked into the emaciated eyes of her children. Willie, Bud, Roosevelt, Minnie, and the bodies of her shivering triplets, Martha, Christine, and Leuna. Roosevelt, like Bud, did not have shoes, and his feet were nicked up, which made it painful for him to walk. Minnie, seeing how her father made his shoes, had wrapped her feet with some fabric she had gotten from Mary and her grandmother, Ida. Lenny Gray pulled faith from somewhere deep within, 
and forced a smile on her face to mask her pain. As hard as she tried, she couldn't, and began to cry as she prepared food and hoped that what was once again growing inside her belly were not twins or triplets. Lenny Gray summoned her children to her. Once they gathered around, she said, The only thing we got in this here world is each other. We got to be strong and stick together. You hear? If one of us can't seem to make it, we all got to help each other to keep going. If one fall, we all fall. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Her children remained silent, but acknowledged that they had heard her. Mama, I, I, I'm so hungry, and that food, 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 we didn't call it in enough to f feed all of us, said Bud, unable to control his stammering. Me too, Mama. Them little bitty squirrels ain't enough to feed all of us. Willie coughed deeply. Lenny Gray reached over and placed her hand on his forehead. She tried to gauge whether or not he had gotten ill. Lenny Gray tried to ease her fears and said, I ain't gonna eat none, so that means mo' for y'all. You got to eat, Mama. You can have mine. You need your strength to feed triplets. I'll go down to the river and pick up some dirt and eat that to curb my hunger pains like you showed us, said Minnie, offering to sacrifice her needs for the good of the triplets. No, baby. You got to eat more than dirt. You've been eating that far too long. You need to eat just as much as the rest of us do, Lenny Gray insisted. Without uttering another word, Lenny Gray kissed them all on their forehead and prepared the food. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Grandpa, Grandpa Tom's house, Bud announced. You, you can give, give, give my food to the triplets. Bud, ain't no need of you going over there to bother your grandparents. They're old, and they ain't got much longer on this here earth. Let them have some peace. Grandpa Tom says, says, says to come over and see him if I, if I get too hungry. Bud said as he moved towards the front door. Before Lenny Gray could say another word, he ran out of the shanty. Willie moved closer to Lenny Gray and hugged her and whispered in her ear and said, I'm going down to Mary and Elmo's to eat there. Don't worry, Mama. You will do no such thing. Mary has two mouths of her own to feed, and she's already helping your grandparents. Lenny Gray stopped Willie from leaving. Yo, Daddy is going to figure out a way to feed us, Lenny Gray said, looking deeply into his eyes. She had placed all of her hopes on the shoulders of Curly. Mama, we ain't going to make it all winter eating like this, Willie said with a shortness and definiteness. Willie, we strong. Look, we done made it this far for this many years. We're going to make it plenty more years, Lenny Gray sniffled as her tears dropped out of her eyes. Now, go sit down and play with your brother. It won't take me long to cook this here food. Several hours later, Curly returned with sacks of flour and cornmeal and sat them on the table. Mr. Bettis gave us to you? Lenny Gray was shocked when she saw what Curly had. Nope. Mr. Bettis told me to get the fuck away from his dough. He said he done paid me what he owed me and he wasn't giving out no credit until the first of the year. 
Well, where did you get this from? Begging. Young white fella in town took pity on me after I told him I got seven starving children at home counting on me to bring back some food. Oh, that was the Lord working a miracle, Curly. Lenny Gray looked upward. Uh, no, it wasn't, Lenny. That man didn't give this shit to me for free like I had hoped. He told me to come by his place because he got some work for me to do in order to pay him back for his kindness. Hell, Lenny, I'm worried. I hope the man don't try to turn me into his personal slave. That shit didn't happen to me twice in my life already. He won't. What kind of work does he want you to do? It don't matter what kind of work it is, Lenny. I just need to get the shit done and get back in one piece, Curly said as he pressed his back against one of the walls and slid down to the floor. It don't matter. I just want a little rest right now. I'm so tired, Lenny, he said and closed his eyes. Minnie went and snuggled against her father. She opened up his hand and threaded her fingers through his. I'll help you do the work, Daddy, Willie said. Ah, nice of you, son, Curly whispered. He kissed Minnie on her forehead and shut his eyes. <laughs>